Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to another podcast presented by Sage Tech. And with me today is a fellow colleague and accomplished lighting designer, Scott Phillips. Scott, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing well. Doing well here. We've got quite a listening audience here, and uh, I'm sure they're going to be interested in wanting to know a little bit more about uh, how you came up into the business as being a lighting designer. So I think to start out here, let's just say, tell us a little bit about your story. All right. Well, uh, hello, everyone. And uh, yeah, so I started uh, this uh, business. Uh, I was living in Montreal, born and raised, and uh, moved to Vegas in 2002. But I started in 1980, believe it or not. And uh, my first taste of lighting was in 1999 when I was in college. Um, originally, I was going into graphic design, but uh, the classes filled up pretty quickly. And I uh, kind of missed the train on that one, so I ended up in social science. So a couple of semesters of that, and then uh, the next year I started the, the semester in uh, the auditorium. We were looking for lighting, sound, and uh, all kinds of people, carpenters, uh, to work the shows in the college. And I just ended up doing lighting and kind of found this interesting to create, you know, with beams of light and lighting up people and doing playing music uh, with the lights you know following the beats and doing effects and all that and it was kind of cool so i kind of left college and uh, went on the road lucky me i was able to find bands right off the bat in the, in the 80s so did you no know, clubs and concert halls auditoriums moved up you know there's some theater black boxes did a lot of convention centers and stadiums and even did, did a few parking lots you know <laughs> set up a stage and do a show there so any uh let's say performers out there when you talk about being on the road and doing maybe some arenas and uh, stadiums and things like that uh any recognizable artists that our listening audience might be able to relate to oh yeah for sure i mean there's a lot of artists i work from with they're from canada and uh, europe but i've also worked with uh, an American band, I don't know if you heard of the Backstreet Boys. I was out on tour with them for like three years, uh, end of 90s, and did some did some stuff with Corey Hart and uh, Voivod, did some off-Broadway shows with Tap Dogs and Human Nature, did some rock stuff with Sash Jordan, and uh, did, uh, did a couple of years with uh, a lot of Canadian bands as a support act uh went on tour with like rush madonna uh pantera aerosmith uh who else uh, pearl jam uh you know bands that they, they always support acts for these main shows and lucky enough for me to be on tours with people that were asked to play with those people and just got there and enjoyed the time to be in a, in a crowd of people in these huge venues, you know, it was fun. Yeah, well, knowing you as I do, Scott, I, I do know that rock and roll is in your blood and uh, even even to this day, but you're obviously a very versatile person. Um, tell you what, though, obviously, when you came up uh, some years back and everything was analog, tell us a little, little bit now about the types of consoles that you're working with in your design work as LD. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned analog. My favorite board way back then was the Avolite. I just love that board. But uh, of the course, old pull-out drawer and the pins for uh, uh, soft patching, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Three scenes, 90, 90 uh, channels, and uh, yeah, it was a great board. Still is. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind finding one and playing around with it. But yeah, it was the thing is, I noticed pretty, pretty quickly uh, going from the 80s through 90s and just beginning of the 2000s is that you really have to keep up to date with all the technology, not just because lighting, but you need to know about pretty much everything in the business. So you don't get past, I don't know if that's the right expression, but you don't let get left behind. So when the consoles became more and more intricate because the, um, uh, how do you say that? The protocols went from analog AMX to DMX, uh, the consoles became more and more complicated and more uh, execution-wise complex. It's not just pulling up a few faders and entering the queue where you want it. You have to actually you know, think about a lot of perimeters and stuff to, to go from queue to queue, let's say if you're doing a, a queue stack or something, or if you're punting a show, which is just everything laid out, and when you hit it, it gives you that certain effect or look that you want, but it's not necessarily programmed in a stack. So my first boards were Compulites, which were made in Israel, and then from there, dabbled a little bit with Hogs, but now my main... My main console is pretty much Grand May family. Grand May is uh, my go-to, I guess. Yeah, I just want to kind of go back to Avalites. I'm just grinning on this a minute because they were uh, extremely wide consoles, you know, six feet wide. Of course, back then, everything ran on the dimmers were zero to 10 volts. And, of yep. course, the control cable uh, going to these mass dimmers was quite sizable in nature. And now the fact that we're back to the protocol of DMX, actually AMX is a word that most people don't hear about anymore. But then when it transitioned into DMX, uh, you know, now, of course, then uh, you're running digital and it was basically one cable or depending on the number of universes, it, it is perhaps as many as maybe four to six cables. But uh, you mentioned the Grand MA console. I, I've worked with you on a number of shows and I know that's always been your console of choice. Um, what about some of the more smaller, when you design, maybe what about some of the smaller consoles that are now PC-based? What can you tell us about that? Well, speaking of the Grand May, they do have an on-PC model, which is a controller, which actually it's a programming layout is the same as the Grand May Full and the Grand May Lite. And it has also six playbacks and some touch buttons that could become executors with 20 different attributes you can give them to do your playbacks. And uh, in in cahoots with the Grand May on PC program, which you can get for free online, you put that in a touchscreen computer or in a laptop, and then it's the same layout, the same views, everything is pretty much what you're used to from the, the regular consoles. And you could actually, you know, just anywhere you want with a visualizers, just build your shows and get, get a head start of doing your, your files so that when you get to the venue or to the, wherever you're doing your show at, you're not wasting time building from scratch. So you already have your building blocks. And you know, a lot of guys that program, they do their, like they call a start page. So I like to have, I like to have a, a few dongles with old shows and, effects put aside so that I could just 
put them in the console and then I can start just building whatever the, the, the client wants or whatever I want. If I, I'm the designer and I don't have much input from anybody else, I just do what I love. Uh, I do lace. <laughs> well, yeah, you then that you do. What's great about that too is the fact that you can save the show that you're working on, your design rather, and then if you were in a venue using the same console with the same attributes that were on your PC, you just take the flash and literally download it into that console, right? Yes, exactly. You, uh, what I like to do, because what happens when these consoles get a new version that upgrades during the years, uh, some stuff kind of changes. So if you have a show built, let's say in version X, and you get to a console that's version Y, uh, I think it's always practical to have a thumb drive with different versions of the console you're working with so you can either dumb it down and be able to put in your older show because an old show will fit on a new version console, but a new version show will mostly not fit on an older version console. So it's good to have some, you know, backups of versions and you can, you know, the, I don't think anybody's going to mind. And then when you leave, you just reset the console to whatever uh, version it was, you know, and well, you know, you might <laughs> forget because you have to get back to the bus or there's a party somewhere. Right? Yeah. So, Usually, you, 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 if, they're, if they're cool with you, you'll leave, and you'll leave it exactly the way it was. You'll put in their old show and whatever. Even you'll leave a little effect or two so they can use it, you know. Or it's, it's all in the attitude and how people greet you and how you greet people. And at the end of the day, because you spend, like, some, some venues, you come in at 8 a.m. and you leave at 2 a.m. So that's a long time with people that you've just met if you don't, you're starting touring or starting in the business. So you you get to to learn a lot about you know attitudes and work work ethics and you know it's great it's a it's it's a it's a great way of life you know I've been doing it for forty years so <laughs> yeah, that that's you got some time behind your belt there. What about using three D tools when you're designing? Well, yeah, also uh, MA. Well, not just MA. These other manufacturers too started doing that because of the complexity. Uh, the amount of universes and also the access to the equipment because it is expensive to rent. So you can't ask an artist to rent this for a month as you're playing in the hall and doing the show. So when you're at home or in your office, there's these visualizers like MA has one called MA3D, which is also free. You can get it on the website and then you set it up. And what happens, it's a 3D visualizer according to how you set up your console, it will be exactly the same thing on the visualizer. So if you turn a light on and you're in a view, you'll see the fixture that's in the 3D visualizer turn on. And if you start moving it, changing colors, even the gobos, the textures, uh, you'll see that. And then also, you can also add staging elements like risers. You can put in little little people with guitars and drums. You can put in uh, tables and chairs to represent uh, uh, an, uh, a talking, a speaking show where somebody's on a, a podium, a riser with a video screen. So you can also take snapshots of those looks to show, you know, people what it is it's, it's going to look like. It gives them an idea. So if someone that's not too visual, instead of just telling them, oh, we're going to do this, do that, you just, here, this is what it's going to look like. And it's pretty much close to reality. You know, 
it's not exactly, but it's pretty close. So it gives you a great idea of what, what you're getting into. Well, for everybody who's on board listening here, I've had the uh, opportunity of, of having seen Scott uh, design using these 3D elements. And I have to say it's very impressive because if you really think about it, in the past, without having these tools, you would have to be sitting you know, in the theater or wherever it is that you're designing and you're having to look at it in real time, looking at the proscenium or look whether it's in the round or it's a proscenium stage or whatever the case may be. And to your point, which you mentioned is the fact that, you know, if you've already got everything laid out, no matter where you're at, you can actually design this. And then maybe with a few minor tweaks, you're off and running, which is really fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about how do you approach a project? Say you're going to be working with an artist, a uh, performing artist, or if it is actually uh, a production of some sorts, even if it's a trade show or if it's a, you know, you and I have worked on the University of Arizona's events. What can you tell us about how you go about approaching a, a particular project as a designer? Well, first, uh, if you don't mind me mentioning uh, the, uh, the tool, the tools of the trade is what you're going to use to start designing. As in the 80s, we used to call them napkin drawings. We used to draw circles with numbers, <laughs> and that would be our lighting plot. And then you give yeah. it to somebody and say, here, set it up. But now with the technology, we have these full CAD programs that are actually based for lighting, done by lighting persons, which my go-to program as my console is called WYSIWYG. W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G, which is basically what you see is what you get. It's a program that I've been using since uh, 1996. <laughs> so they've been around for a while. It's a Canadian program that was designed by a Canadian broadcast company, uh, lighting techs and lighting designers that did all the television shows back then. And it's a pretty, pretty complete program that, gives you everything from your matchstick layout, 2D plots, and then all the information you need for people to build it, your rigging, your trussing points, the weights. Uh, it does, you know, it can do your patches, your fixtures, and then you can use the patch from WIG and drop it into Grandimator's programs that talk together. And if you're savvy enough in the programming, you can just take your WIG file, throw it in MA and the patch is there ready to go. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in WYSIWYG. I don't want to spend too much time, but I, I just love that program so much. Uh, full rendering, so you can actually, and it's a better rendering end result than pretty much everything, anything out there. So you can do your, your views and show it to your client. You can even do it with moving cameras, moving set pieces. You can have it run as a video and show a song. Uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty complex and pretty cool. Yeah, I remember when it came out uh, some years ago, uh, I believe it was an LDI show, Lighting Dimensions International show. And uh, it was hard to just try and squeeze in as they were demoing this particular WYSIWYG. And uh, it was quite impressive. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that it's still around and certainly glad to hear that you're obviously still using it because once again, going back on the bar napkin, when you were talking about designing, someone came up with a clever idea of stencils. You remember those, right? So I, I was thinking about how many times we used, 
Yeah, <laughs> and I have I mine can't too. Get rid of them. They're like uh, they're like badges of honor. I got <laughs> I look at them once in a while and have a little tear. <laughs> yeah, you ought to you ought to punch a hole in it and put it around your lanyard and carry it around or walking when you're walking around on the next gig and see what kind of feedback you get. Uh, that'd be cool. That was the whole pitch before getting to your question about the, how do I approach the, the design part of the, the, the show. Yeah, please. So yeah, once once I finish drooling over my wheezy wig, uh, I have a have a talk with the client, and the first first thing I like to ask is, you know, what's what's your show about? You know, give me give me a breakdown of you know what what what's involved in your production, and you know, and then secondly, what's nice to find out before you start is where the venue is. Because then I have like many, many, many different venues on uh, DWG format. So I could just import the venue. And as soon as I'm done talking, I can start working on it with the ideas fresh in my head, you know. And that I could, you know, start planning for rigging so the riggers can get their information and talking with the people for the seating and the fire marshals and everybody that's involved in that production, you know. So basically, that that's my type of thing to do. I kind of like to you know be very proactive before we get into the venue with the trucks and start building the show so um yeah basically i do that then uh, once once i i know what the budget is then it's easy to to go you know between experience and creativity if it's not a lot of budget you got to be very very creative to make it look good and you know be able to deliver what the expectations are um you know the many 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 shows with a limited budget but with great expectations at the end of it and I, you know people people seem to be happy because i get called and i'm still in the business so i'm kind of kind of happy to be creative and be able to you know well we've done shows where we did a lot with a little right tim <laughs> uh sometimes it's fun when you're challenged to not have necessarily all of the uh, toys that you really like to be playing with. I mean, sometimes you can overproduce. Your your comment here, we have done some events where we had limited budget and we could have gone further. You know, we realized we might've had a little more of the big bangs, so to speak, but we've been able to accomplish the objective with some smaller fixtures. Uh, and just so the audience here knows too, uh, he is very thorough. Scott is always very thorough with laying out a lot of plans. You know, he touched on uh, having to deal with the rigors. And believe me, when it comes to larger shows, uh, and even sometimes even the smaller ones in venues that can be very challenging for rigging, when a lighting designer is creating, uh, it's, it's, you know, he's got to make sure that the riggers can come in, find the necessary points so that he can hang his trusses in position, you know, without it jeopardizing his design. So Scott goes about it in a, such a way where he actually identifies those points within the trust as well as on the truss, that is, in addition to where those points would necessarily need to land if he has, let's say, a reflected ceiling plan or even in the ground plan. So the X, Y, Z of where those points need to land, uh, he provides a lot of that information and cohesively he works with the lead riggers. Something that I'm sure our listening audience would also like to know about here is some recommendations, Scott, that you might be able to suggest for students to become actively involved into either becoming an LD or to perhaps maybe embellish and improve upon the career that they're going into. You've given us some really great information here. Is there anything in particular for some students that are starting out, whether it be that they're 
perhaps maybe still in high school, maybe they're in college or fresh out of, of, of both? Yeah, well, there's a, that's like competition, right? So I would just suggest stay in school as long as you can. And, uh, you know, I'm not just kidding. So, yeah, basically, there's a lot out there. Um, all depends on how you want to approach it. I mean, as you're learning, you're learning everything goes on. So there's many places that give out internships depending on the region you're living in, but there's internships, internship programs that are available with local theaters, uh, residency shows like the Cirque shows in Vegas, they, they would take on students for a, a week or two and they would give them tasks that were part of the show so they would learn, they would get a feel of it, get the adrenaline rush of being live under the gun, you know, and having a bunch of people running around and just crazy. Uh, crazy atmosphere um also you can look into your your uh, lighting vendors or your audio vendors or whoever production companies uh they always look for interns mostly in the summertime because it's pretty busy where you live or during uh peak seasons uh companies the big companies like prg four wall christie lights and so on they're always looking for good people that are willing willing to learn. And a lot of those people actually get to stay on in the company and advance. So you start off like, you know, you're going to be rolling cable and dumping trucks and, you know, putting gear back and, you know, fixing stuff depending on your, your qualifications. But after a while, you might be the guy designing those shows and calling people in to set them up for you. And you never know. I mean, you know, a lot of time is being at the right place at the right time and, Attitude is very important. That's also to keep in mind, <laughs> you know, you want to come in and always, you know, look clean, smell good and have a smile on your face. Keep your eyes and ears open. Yeah, at least at the, at the beginning of the day, right? Yeah, right, because Scott? the day passes well done. <laughs> I, I, I do remember as a young lad trying to ask as many questions as I possibly could to get around, perhaps to the point of being downright annoying is that you want to ask as many questions as you possibly can, as long as they're relevant to what you're doing. It uh, can, can be very um, affordable information. So, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. To Scott's point, make sure you get in there and, and do the work, do the hustle, and to keep your eyes open and watch what's going on and listen, uh, especially when Scott mentioned tipping trucks, moving cases, there is a knack for how you do that. There's also a knack for how you handle these fixtures. A lot of these heads, these moving heads are very yeah. heavy and not to mention yeah. unbelievably expensive. Yeah, you, you, know, like, you know, when you get older, you tend to say a lot of sayings and stuff. So, so there's no stupid questions. It's just smart alecky answers, you know? So yeah, sometimes it's fun to, it's fun to, to, to have people coming up in the business and, and you're working with them because I, I find it's important to, to teach them right right off the bat, learn the right stuff. But it's also fun just to, 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 to nudge them a bit, you know, go like go in a truck and try to find something that's not in the truck, you know, it's, have a little laugh and then you finish the day and everybody's happy, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the reward. That's the benefit. If you can walk away at the end of the day and, and say to yourself, what have I learned today? Even if it's just one thing that you walk away from the gig that you were not aware of before, you're one step ahead of having some more knowledge and building your career. And then when your career begins to escalate and you, and you find yourself becoming a valued employee 
And then you, as a designer, or even just if you're just hanging the fixtures on the truss, there's a knack for how you want to lay that cabling out and, you know, the structural of getting all of that wiring laid out properly so that it's dressed clean. And it really makes a big difference on the loadout yeah, too. tend to say all the time, it's all about the out. I mean, you got to make it look pretty. Everything's got to work. All the fixtures have to be in the right spot. You don't have time to go move them around uh, in a lift or bring the truss back in because once the truss is in the air, it's the other departments are coming under you. So it's, it's all about how you lay it out. If it's well laid out, then you set it up so you can get out of the venue quickly, be efficient. Well, we're always the first in and the last yes, to leave, so right? Are. It hasn't changed. That's one thing that's been the same for 40 plus years, you know, lighting is first one in, last one out. The ground plug is the first one in and it's the last one out. Well, listen, wrapping up our discussion today, I want to thank you, Scott, for joining us uh, on the Sage Tech Buzz. It's just been wonderful talking with you. And um, I would like to say, too, for our listening audience, that if you have any further questions, you can either reach out directly to Scott on his website at spldinc.com. Again, that is spldinc.com or through, of course, Sage Tech at sagetechlv.com. And uh, if you have questions uh, and you want to have them directed back to Scott and for whatever reason you weren't able to get directly through to his, don't hesitate to go through Sage Tech and we'll certainly put you in touch. Well, very, very nice. Well, thank you, Tim, uh, for having me on the Sage Tech Buzz. It's been fun. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I'd like to wish uh, good luck to all uh, the future lighting people listening. And it's, uh, I, I could say for myself, it's, it's been a great career and I'm still doing what I love. Another saying is I haven't worked a day in my life, but I've made a good living, got a family, a couple of kids, and some of them are in the business, some are not, but it's all fun. At the end of the day, you come, you come out, you got all your fingers and your toes, you did a good job, everybody's happy, and you hear about it, they give you kudos. It's, I think it's the best way to, to make a living. You can get him on your gig. You'll learn a lot from him, and he's just a joy to work with. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks again, everyone. And again, we look forward to another discussion on the Sage Tech Buzz. Stay safe. Continue to look at the website, sagetechlv.com. We're constantly posting great artists, designers in the field of, uh, of the entertainment world. And again, we're very fortunate to have Scott with us. Take care. Cheers. Mm -hmm.